This is Everyday Ayurveda and Yoga, recorded at Halepule on beautiful Kauai. Each month we cover topics that can help you find balance in your life through food, good living, and the eight limbs of Raja Yoga. Learn more at halepule.com. And here's the show. Hello everyone, this is Myra and Kelsey with Halepule's Everyday Ayurveda and Yoga podcast. It's been a hot summer so far, and the heat has been challenging for growing dark leafy greens. However, our broccoli greens are thriving, and our celery has been consistently producing, and it's been very nice to have, though really it's not easy to grow in the summer. We're finishing the editing of our Ayurveda Health Counselor course, and it's coming out late in September. And we're so pleased to be able to offer this course with lots of practical information for working with clients. You've been spending a lot of time recording the audios recently. Yeah, and I'm really glad to do so, so that we can share Ayurveda as it was traditionally taught, which is shruti, meaning it was heard. Well, 2016 will be an exciting year of new programs as well, including an Ayurvedic chef training. And so many people come to our trainings or retreats, or even to work on the farm, who are inspired by the changes they experience with Ayurvedic food. The last two woofers, or farm workers who left Durga Farms, could not wait to explore the recipes and simple Ayurvedic recipes. It's so fun seeing photos of their meal creations. Ahar, which is our food and our eating, is a large part of the changes that our guests and people who come here for a period of time experience in their bodies and their minds. You know, in Ayurveda, food is medicine. People come here and comment on the wonderful food. Often they say they've made the same thing at home, but it just doesn't taste as good. Kitri is an example that I hear often. Yeah, we're blessed with wonderful organic produce from Durga Farms and from neighboring farms, and that certainly makes a difference in the food. And having fresh spices makes also a big difference. The quality of spices from stores is quite low, and especially if it's been sitting in the daylight. But it's related to the energy that's kept in the kitchen and the energy and attitude of those that are working with the food in the preparation process. In our orientations, we talk about the kitchen as a sacred space. We have guests use the kitchen to collect their food for meals and wash dishes after eating. Otherwise, the kitchen is only for cooking. We keep silence, chant mantra, or have light positive conversation when working with the food. And if someone isn't feeling emotionally well or is on their moon time, meaning they're menstruating, we have them take a break from the kitchen and just rest. And all of that keeps the energy in the kitchen at a higher vibration, and it's reflected in the food. And that's why people notice when they eat here and comment on how good the food tastes. Many people eat standing up in the kitchen, and I used to do that as well. And they have all sorts of conversations. And really, it's a place where they they hang out and just talk. Um, A lot of people have television or computers in the kitchen as well now. You know, things weren't like that when I was growing up. The kitchen had a door and was separate, and most houses were like that. It was really a nice thing. My mom's kitchen was really tiny and just for preparing food. But the design of homes these days are with an open kitchen or even a pass-through. And it's really not a great idea to have people walking through the kitchen. My first time in India, 
I requested to see the kitchen of a woman who was preparing food for the yoga students where I was practicing in Mysore. And it was a really big deal because they didn't let anybody see the kitchen. But I was allowed to come one day and just watch from the door. And it was a small room, and this home was stone, and it was over 200 years old. The floor of the kitchen was stone, and they did all the preparation and mixing on the floor of the kitchen. The bowls were actually a part of the floor. It was really magnificent. There was one little burner, and she made the most incredibly wonderful food from that one little burner uh, for so many people. I mean, she would have 10 people at a time. So the energy was very pure and sweet, and everybody loved the food. It definitely seems like there was much more reverence around all aspects of food and eating in the past. You know, food is medicine, and it supports us on our spiritual journey as a human being. And it's not just about the body. You know, in the Vedas, it refers to the plants and their prana, their life force, and how important it is to respect them to harmonize with them and to receive what they have to offer. They are so important to our living in consciousness. I lived many years ignorant of the true gift of food. My relationship with food was actually quite torturous, and I often resented food until not so long ago, really. That sounds like a topic for another time, our relationship with food. Yeah, it's a big one. The plants are truly amazing with the prana that they offer. Gratitude for them is something we can all benefit from cultivating because that just starts an energetic exchange that enhances everything. Here at Durga Farms, we mix Agnihotra ash in with all the natural amendments that we apply to the soil and to the plants. And so the plants receive the support and healing from the ash from the Vedic fire ceremonies. Agnihotra is practiced at sunrise and sunset And then we also do some other Vedic healing fires here, too. But what they serve to do is to heal the atmospheres that heals us, and it keeps the vibration of the property in support of the nature uh, around us coming into balance, and, and ourselves as well. You know, this land, when I purchased it, it had not been treated well for a very long time. I remember when we first came, or the first time I saw it at least, and it was just pure red dirt. Yes, yeah, with black plastic in it. <laughs> Lots of layers of black plastic from uh, from commercial pineapple farming. We also encourage mantra when planting and harvesting. We're enjoying the fruits of that now as the trees and grass are growing up. And many people find the mantras quite natural and enjoyable when they're planting and harvesting. And what about, though, when someone has only small pots of herbs that they grow themselves or when they shop at the grocery store or farmer's markets and aren't as connected to the growing of their food? Well, as an example, anyone can practice Agnihotra, and that certainly helps. The ash from the fire can be filtered and mixed with water and used on the plants and herbs, or it can be just sprinkled on the soil. And it's also used medicinally for us, for humans, for animals. We put uh, ash and ghee on a a cut or something of that nature, and it heals very quickly. When we're shopping at stores or markets, farmer's markets, knowing the source of the food is a really nice thing. But you can feel the prana in the food to connect on an energetic level right from the point of selecting it. And the attention and love with which you approach it 
will support the prana of the plant as well. Growing up, I didn't think to even consider whether the food itself had prana. I always assumed that buying organic was enough, and that was uh, surprising to me to learn that buying organic may not mean that it had life force. I just assumed that organic meant it was good. Yes. Well, not necessarily. We hope so, but not necessarily. A nice practice is to just lightly rub the hands together a couple of times and then approach the food slowly with the palm of your hand. You can feel the prana. Some people might just have a sense of something. Be sure you start at least a few inches away. If you get too close to it, then you won't feel it because your hand will be already be in the energy field of the food. Try it out. So you can compare it with something that's inert, like a plastic bag, something that you wouldn't feel prana necessarily coming off of it. And you have to leave out your thinking mind in this. This is not, a, this is not a, an intellectual thing. It's an experiential approach. Food with prana really makes a big difference. I went back to Canada one year and made chapati, a type of flatbread with store-bought flour. They were pretty tasteless. I felt like I wanted eight, which is definitely excess. I just didn't feel satiated. And what I realized when I came back to Hawaii was the flour from the store had likely been ground and was sitting in storage and then at the store for a long time. There was little to no prana, so I wanted to eat more because my body wasn't getting the nutrients it wanted and needed. Then when I came back and had our freshly ground flour, I realized how I really hadn't appreciated the freshly ground grains that we use for our flour. That's a common thing with pasta as well, little to no prana. We grind enough flour for a week's supply or less so that it's quite fresh. And ideally you could even just grind it and use it right then. And just like anything, the moment it's processed, it does begin to break down. The flour in stores is often stored in the light, which also reduces prana very quickly. So we keep ours in a glass container in the dark in the cupboard. But I've been grinding my own flour for a good 35 years, and on the occasions where I would use store-bought flour, it was inferior in all aspects, taste, prana, satisfaction, nutrients. One of the things that I, that I like to mention to people is that Getting a hand grinder is very inexpensive, under $100. It's something will last many years, and you can just have, buy the grain, which is also less expensive than buying the flour, and just grind your own flour to make your chapati right then. And making a moderate amount of chapati really doesn't take long at all. No, just less than 15 minutes for the whole thing. Well, it's a whole new world, being aware of prana, and not just in ourselves, but in our food, too. Yeah, we can realize how rich life really can be. So selecting food that has prana means that you're selecting food that has nutrients that are accessible to your body and mind. Then lightly cooking the food in a reverent manner makes those nutrients accessible. You know, food has amazing things to offer us that are not determined in a laboratory, but by the relationship that's established in the growing, in the handling, preparation for cooking, and in the cooking process. You know, sometimes, and and I remember years back, somebody making a comment to me, they say, well, you know, but we have to often kill the plant 
and that. Mm-hmm. But I, I really sometimes when I eat the food, I can feel how happy the the plant is to have made the offering. Something that contributed to my new relationship with food was engaging my senses in all aspects of the cooking and eating. Yeah, from the time you harvest or select it at the market, notice the smell, the texture, the color. And when you're preparing it, again, use all of your senses. What does it sound like when you chop it? Save the tasting for later, though, as eating while preparing or cooking will start your digestive process, and then that will inhibit proper digestion of the meal. So when you do eat, notice the tastes the texture, how it feels in your mouth, the smells too. Really let yourself enjoy it, which means you have to slow down enough to do that. Life is really in the details, in the subtleties. And giving attention to the details of preparing and eating food, it increases our consciousness just by the practice of doing it, but also then by the prana that we receive from the plants. And that allows us to be better and feel better in all of our life. What about babies who are still breastfeeding? Well, the first food for humans is the mother's breast milk, ideally. And the deep connection to mother ideally would happen right after the birth, when the baby moves directly to the mom's breast. That process there... If it happens very, really just immediately with, without outside interference, ideally, um, and that doesn't mean that somebody might not be helping, mm. but that alone signifies how sacred is the act of providing food and eating. You know, if we can offer a smooth transition for a baby from the internal world of mother to the outer world, this has an impact on the person all throughout their life. That's amazing. I hadn't thought of it that way. I can see how it would be important for the mother to keep her energy clear and also approach breastfeeding as an offering. I hear mothers speak of the frequency of feeding their babies with irritation and impatience, as if they would rather not take the time to breastfeed when needed. Sounds like a little pitta out of balance, <laughs> which is which is an easy thing to have happen in the, in the summertime. So, um, you know, having a baby requires a lot of time and energy. And it's a spiritual process to raise a child. Mom's job of clearing the energy of resistance is so important so that the baby can have a positive experience, and particularly right from the beginning with eating. And this will support the baby's physical and emotional balance and development and, and their ability to keep their doshas balanced through life. Something that stood out to me from the first time you said it was to be more and do less. Yes, when we're breastfeeding mom, it's really our main job. And you might say, well, I have all these other things to do. But, you know, really, that time frame is so short. It is the most important thing. And that reverence for that process of eating and feeding would transmit to the baby. That's right, yeah. Mm -hmm. And so we need to let it really be the magnificent, beautiful process that it is. We need to learn to be in the process of life including the process of growing and selecting food, preparing it, and eating it. Each of these steps is so important to human beings. I learned that statement from a wonderful teacher, be more and do less. She was speaking to me. (laughs) (laughs) 
our intuitive energy practices, which are available on our website, teach us how to clear energy and live from a place of neutrality and even-mindedness. We have a free 20-minute download of the basic tools and a variety of specific topics for deeper exploration as well. One of the specific topics is about healing your relationship with food, something that made a big difference in my life and my health. Let's take a short break and be back in a minute. Our State of Health, Getting Started with Ayurveda online program is a 10-lesson program where you'll learn the basics of Ayurveda and ways you can easily apply the principles to your life, including tips on eating, cooking, and mindful living. Learn how to use food as your first form of medicine by creating meals that provide vitality, nourishment, and strength. Start your journey to health today with this transformational course that is the starting point for a better life. And send your questions to hashtag AskHalePule. That's hashtag Ask. H-A-L-E-P-U-L-E on Facebook and Twitter. We're back. We've been talking about the sacred nature of food and eating. We talked about keeping the energy in the kitchen positive and light and reducing or eliminating traffic through the kitchen. It'll make a difference in how the food tastes. Kitchen organization is also something that we understand is important. Yeah, the state of our surroundings reflects the state of our mind. And our surroundings also affect the state of our mind. Remember, sattva means balanced and harmonious. So we need to keep our surroundings in the same way to support the mind and the body. So the kitchen should be organized so that the tools are convenient and easy to find. The worst is to be looking for things in the kitchen because they aren't put away in the place where you're, you can find them. So some of the things that are important are put things away when you're finished with them in the same place you found them. <laughs> <laughs> and then clean up as you go. Get rid of any unnecessary items. If you haven't used that tool in years, then it's probably better to pass it on to someone else. Don't keep spices and foods for extended periods of time. They lose their prana. It really does support a relaxed preparation process when you know where everything is. I did learn that here, and it certainly does affect my energy. That's especially true when you set yourself up to start and then clean and put things away as you go. You know, when we have imbalanced dosha, particularly vata dosha, we won't want to do that. It'll be, tend to be kind of scattered in a disorganized process. Is it imbalanced kapha that wants to hang on to all the tools they've accumulated all the years, that attachment? Yeah, that, that's, that's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's important to turn away from that imbalanced dosha. Uh, being scattered and disorganized is not freedom. Then the mind will try to tell you that. It'll bring great results if you bring some organization to your kitchen. Another thing imbalanced dosha will fight are things like snacking while cooking or eating and eating on the go or while working. Preparing the food with an attitude of offering is really important, as is eating the food with this attitude, too. So we really need to take this time for ourselves. Cultivating a spiritual approach to cooking and eating will have everything in life be more 
uh, enjoyable, more efficient, and more beneficial. You know, we eat every day. It's the most important factor in how we take care of ourselves beyond what we do with our mind. And they are related. Being sure that we're sitting down free of distractions is the first step. And before you start the meal, say a prayer or acknowledgement, some kind of affirmation, something that helps you collect your energy and show reverence for the food. Keeping the challenging discussions for a later time is another important factor. Many people use the dinner table or any meal time as an avenue to discuss big topics. Right. Big topics are best left out. <laughs> you know, and then when you want to chew your food, engaging the senses, like we mentioned earlier, you want to sit tall with good posture as you eat because that allows your organs to work properly and all the energy to flow in your body. And then you want to stop eating before or at the first burp. Chewing the food is another practice that's important and that may challenge the mind as it has us slow down and particularly true with the excess vata. But so, so important to do. You know, there's really no rush in life. Always go back to clearing that energy of I must rush. You know, that I was always asked that question, what else do you think you should be doing? And, you know, maybe you could make a big list, but honestly, the most important thing is what you're doing right in that moment. And being present for that is what will make it beneficial. You know, taking the time to nourish yourself through sacred eating will enhance all areas and all activities in your life. So we really need to let go of that lie that's come with modern living. There isn't enough time. Mm. That reminds me of our most recent teacher training. One of the women, she really appreciated getting to sit down for meals and being encouraged to chew her food and also having some silence. She was a tour guide in Tasmania, I believe, and always had to be talking while eating and taking care of other people. She really loved it. Yeah, and her health really improved, too. Yeah, and just to be able to let go of the rush, let go of the to-do, and just be in that moment was pretty cool for her. You told me once, actually a few times, that rushing is ego, that it feeds self-importance, and that stood out to me. Yep, and the sooner we can let it go, the better. I remember I initially had some resistance and resentment around that, but when I paused to really consider it, then I realized that resistance, resentment, and fear of slowing down really was ego. And everything I've been learning in my studies of yoga, Ayurveda, and Vedic astrology is that to be happy, joyous, and free, we do need to shave off the edges of ego. I've heard a teacher say that the first step on the spiritual path is to get over yourself. Yeah, the energy of rushing is a fearful perspective in life. It permeates everything and it will inhibit spiritual growth. Practicing Agnihotra is, is a nice way to assist us to feel more comfortable in life, to slow down to a reasonable pace. So I'm not talking about not doing anything. I'm just talking about being willing to take a pause in life, to come present. Um, it's practiced at the precise times of sunrise and sunset, and it aligns us to the rhythms of nature. It's a nice time to just be with ourselves, with nature, and with the fire. 
Myra, we did have a question come through on Facebook from a client regarding Mehotra. She has an app, which makes it very easy to know the exact timings of sunrise and sunset for your location, but notice that the timings were different than the timing of sunrise and sunset on the Weather Channel, and she was wondering why that was. Well, I can't give you the exact science of it, but I do know that the timings have to do with where its placement is on the Earth. The measurement, then, that television or the weather channels or whatever that they might make uh, comes from a different calculation. So they might be just measuring when it comes over the horizon, for example. Okay, so she should stick with the app The app is better, yes. Okay, great. And, yeah, it's a great way to connect in and close down the energies for the day at sunset and open them up in the morning. You know, chewing our food is what allows the body to digest it. You know, the enzymes in the mouth are what start that digestive process. So, you know, food is a real gift to us. Many people chew fast so that they can eat more. (laughs) I see that when when they come here initially. Um, Usually they overeat and have a number of symptoms like sluggishness, sinking bowel movements, excess weight, and acne is a common one. I used to do that. (laughs) I used to. I would chew fast. I still chew pretty fast, but I do chew now. But before I would chew fast and swallow quickly because I thought I needed to get more food. You know, when we eat appropriate amounts, then the energy in our body flows properly and it allows the organs and the systems in the body to operate in the way they're designed. When we have a poor attitude or we overeat in one sitting, it's as if we're putting sand into the gas tank of the car. It doesn't work very well. What I've realized is that attitude really is most important. When my attitude is one of gratitude and exploration in all aspects of life, including preparing and eating food, then my whole sense of well-being really is enhanced. I feel so much better and so much more clear and like myself. We need to be in gratitude and appreciation the entire time with food. And actually, it would be really nice to be that way in all of life. And, you know, you want to really hold this attitude, even if it's not perfect food. Sometimes we get in situations where Mm -hmm. you say, oh, this is all that's available. Well, then make the best of it. We can get quite a bit from inferior food if we have a positive attitude and an open heart. And we can receive a lot from superior food, food with high prana, if we have a positive, health-giving attitude. If I'm angry doesn't matter how good the food is. You know, the shift of our consciousness out of distress and worry and anger or negativity is a very powerful in terms of our health and well-being, both physically and mentally and spiritually. And those meditation tools, intuitive energy practices, are really helpful for learning to do that in the moment. Yeah. So this shift in attitude helps us to take that mechanical nature out of our relationship with the plants, with food, with its preparation. We need to let it be an exploration of the moment. Let it be a new experience, one that really exudes love. Not only will we come to connect with the food at new levels, but we'll come to connect with ourselves at deeper levels. It's really about love. Mm. 
And I hear you have a book about love somewhere in the background. Someday. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's all we have time for today. Thank you for joining us. And if you'd like to work with us to determine the best approach to bring balance, we offer consultations in person and by phone, Skype, or FaceTime. Thanks so much for listening to Everyday Ayurveda and Yoga. Don't forget, if you have a question or a topic you'd like us to cover, just submit your question on Facebook or Twitter with the hashtag AskHaleePule. That's H-A-L-E-P-U-L-E. And if you want to go deeper on your own path toward health, book a consultation at hollypule.com. In Ayurveda, we understand that we each have a unique constitution. Halipule's tridoshic approach is ideal for families and supports multiple constitutions. You can cultivate sattva in cooking, knowing that you're making meals that support everyone's constitution. Subtle adjustments may be required, but it doesn't need to be a stress point. To learn our tridoshic approach to create nourishing meals, join Simple Ayurvedic Cooking with Halipule. Their recipes are easy, delicious, and will leave you feeling energized. And the link to join is in our show notes.